Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. That it convicts us when we need it. And it brings great comfort and consolation when we need it. So, Lord, I, I pray for the consolation of your people. Pray for your comfort to descend upon us now. Pray for our sister Jen, Lord. Do you minister peace to her in the deep places? And would you open us all to the beauty and to the glory of your son, Jesus Christ? We pray these things in his name. Amen. It's the first Sunday of Christmas tide. I feel like it's one of the kind of tragic things. The season of Christmas is only about two weeks long. <laughs> There's all this anticipation and you get there and, and you just have a couple short weeks to savor what's been revealed to us. Um, the season of Christmas is kind of like living in the afterglow of seeing a beautiful sunset. Uh, of seeing a glory that you didn't expect coming or, or, or colors that were more magnificent. You prepared for the sunset you knew was coming, but the colors were so vibrant, like, whoa, I didn't think it was going to be that good. In John chapter 1, we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so now, just for a couple short weeks, we bask in that glory, and we start to see the ripple effects of that glory unfolding in history. Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord shone. It, it literally blazed around the shepherds. <laughs> and the shepherds in the ancient world were considered lower class, irreligious, unreliable, morally suspect bunch, and um, Luke tells us that God's glory is not shining in the inner sanctum of the temple with the high priest in this moment, but now it is shining with the shepherds on the edges of town. And so the angels announced to them, we want you to know that what has happened is actually good news of great joy for all people, for the highest of the high and for the lowest of the low and everybody in between. I love the way that Malcolm Guy put it in his sonnet for Christmas Tide, entitled On the Edge. He says this, Christmas sets the center of the world on the edge. The edge of town, outbuildings of the inn, the fringe of the empire, far from power and privilege. Christmas sets the center at the edge. And from this day on, our world is realigned. A tiny seed developing in the, wound, in the womb becomes the source from which we all unfold. From now on in him, all things are realigned. And so from that Christmas day and every day since, the glory of the Lord has been shining in those places where we least expect it, often on the people that least deserve it, and for those who most need it. And his glory, as it shines, realigns the world. It's what John said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, and it cannot, and it will not overcome that light which shines. Because that light existed in pure bliss before there ever was darkness in which it could shine. And so when the world experiences this realignment as, as God births himself into the darkness, the result is joy. 
just pure, unbridled human joy. It's the song we sang. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let people their songs employ. He rules the world with truth and grace. And the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. It's a joy that rings throughout the corridors of heaven and earth because the angels say unto us a child is born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now admittedly there are seasons when we feel like we've lost our joy in life. <laughs> Where we've lost joy in others, in work, in family, in God. And whether it's the burden of circumstances or the weight of sin or the absence of what we love and long for. I think it's why the words of the psalmist have been so poignant for me in the last year. Restore to me, Lord, the joy of your salvation. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of our salvation. It's why I've been so struck by Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. The, the angels announce on this day good news of great joy for all people, even those who don't feel joy. Good news that is intended to restore joy to the human heart, to your soul and to mine. So the question I want to ask with you quickly this morning is, what is it that brings joy to the human heart? What is it that restores joy to our lives? I mean, Luke is clear, it's the birth of this Christ child, but what is it about him? And I think the angels point us to two things. I think it's the glory that this child reveals. And it's the peace that this child gives or he brings. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, say the angels. So joy comes as we behold God's great glory in Christ. And as we receive his deep peace through Christ. So first glory. The human heart is created to see and savor glory and beauty, the glory and beauty of God. I mean, just think about this. I mentioned uh, a sunset. Um, we love to see the glory of God reflected in the wonders of creation. Uh, it was John Calvin himself who said, all of creation is like a theater of God's glory. Or you could use the language of the Celtics. All of creation is a series of thin places between heaven and earth where the unseen glory breaks through into the seen. And, and therapists have seen this all over the place. I mean, if people are struggling with anxiety or stress, it's not the only cure, but one of the most basic things, or even if they're grieving a loss, is like just get out in the redwoods and see how tall they are. Go to the Grand Canyon and see how deep it is. Go to the plains and see how far the expanse stretches. We love to see the glory of God in creation. It's a great joy. But we also love to see the glory of God in other people. There's C.S. Lewis, I think it was, um, was it in The Weight of Glory, who, who he said, if, if we knew what our friends and our brothers and sisters and maybe even our enemies potentially are going to look like when they're fully glorified in heaven, we may be tempted to worship them now. He said, no human being is ordinary. 
We see the glory of God in other people, but, but the greatest glory that we're told that we can possibly see is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that itself is the deepest and most enduring joy of the human heart. We're told in Revelation 22 that the goal of all of salvation history is going to be in this new heavens and new earth. But what are we going to be doing there? We're going to see him face to face. So the shepherds, when they saw the glory of the Lord shine around them in verse 9, and then when they heard the angels say glory to God in the highest, verse 14, they were not praising and glorifying yet. It wasn't until they went and they saw that baby lying in a manger that they returned home glorifying and praising God. There was something about the sight of that face. Salvation throughout the early chapters of Luke is depicted as being swept up through vision, through sight, into a vast chorus of praise and worship. It's one of the reasons why I love in our Eucharistic liturgy, which Alan is going to lead us through in, in just a few moments, I love how at the beginning he says, we join our voices with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven to proclaim the glory of his name. So salvation is seen as human beings being swept up into the praise of the angels who sing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. There is something about this seeing that draws us deeper into the reality. So I've been beginning to wonder in my own life, maybe the most important question for me to ask every day is not what will I do today, but what or who will I see? Not what did I do today, but what and who did I see? Maybe spiritual formation is not so much about what I do and what I accomplish, but about who I behold and attend to and whose company I seek. It was the psalmist himself who said, one thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing, that one thing shall I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple. And John tells us in chapter 1, that temple is now Jesus Christ. So on Christmas, brothers and sisters, I wonder if in this passage, God is inviting us to become like little children again. Little contemplatives. Little wonderers. Little attention givers, little beholders of beauty. This lovely little children's book that I love reading to my kids is called The Wren, The Baby Wren and the Great Gift. And in this book, there's a, a little baby wren that lives in a nest perched atop a cliff that overlooks a great canyon with a river flowing through it. And it talks about the monarchs that are in the milkweeds and the wind that rustles through the grass and the, the river that glitters in the sun. And this little bird is perched on, his, on her nest uh, every morning overlooking this vast expanse. And as the bird looks down, it sees kingfishers swoop down to grab fish. It sees uh, ring-tailed cats climbing up, scampering up the, the mountainsides. And it sees... Um, eagles soaring on, on stormy winds, and then it sees sunfish flapping about in the water. 
And every time it sees one of these beautiful things, the wren asks itself, why can't I do what that thing does? Throughout the day, she's plagued by this question, why can't I fly? Why can't I swim? Why can't I scamper like that? Then at the end of the day, the sunset comes, and she is all of a sudden interrupted from her questioning and her wondering because the whole canyon and the whole sky is filled with this pink hue painted by the sunset. And it starts to take her breath away. And she starts to realize, I've got to try to find a way to express this beauty. And so it says towards the end of the book that the tiny fairy bird sat very still and very quietly, just looking and looking and looking. And what she saw couldn't fit inside her. It bumped into her heart. It dazzled her eyes. It pushed on her throat until the tiny trembling bird with all her might sang by herself a song. For all the sky and shining sun, the milkweed, the monarchs, and the rivers that run, for kingfishers and sunfish and ring-tailed cats, for eagles and thunderclouds and storms blowing through, and that I'm here in this too. Thank you. And it talks about her song echoing through the walls of the canyon, and the eagles that are soaring above hear it, and they say to the wren, they say, wow, what a beautiful song. You may be small, but the grandeur of the song is echoing throughout this entire canyon for all of us to hear. The wren found its joy and purpose in life when it stopped being so concerned with what it could and could not do and simply attended to the beauty that surrounded her on every side. My friends, I wonder if today the angels are interrupting us, <laughs> interrupting our questions, interrupting our daily habits, and inviting us to go see a beauty that is greater than we could imagine. Telling us that a salvation has come, that the Lord is here. Telling us that there is reason for rejoicing. Those who had no joy, joy has dawned on them. And telling us that we too can join our voices with the choir of angels. Glory to God in the highest. And peace to his people. I love that peace follows on glory. God's great glory leads to humanity's deep peace. The human person is not only created to see and behold beauty, but to receive and rest in deep peace. Peace is one of these major themes that I think I see throughout our culture. I don't know if you agree with me, but a lot of people don't have peace. And, and when they feel like they found it, it often feels elusive or, or fleeting. Um, people long for peace. I, I think this is one way you could interpret the whole kind of health and wellness industry. <laughs> In one part, longing for peace, for wholeness, for harmony. And peace is a major theme in the Bible, too. And, and throughout the Christmas story, it was Isaiah in our uh, scripture reading who said, Unto us a child is born, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. It, it was Zechariah who sang in his song, said, He will come and he will guide our feet into the path of peace. 
and it was the angels who said peace on earth and then it's going to be Simeon who says when he holds the baby Jesus now your servant may depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation I, I was notified before the service that Desmond Tutu Archbishop of South Africa actually died today right after Christmas my eyes have seen your salvation what is true peace it's not simply the absence of conflict although that's part of it but it's the fullness of flourishing with God within and with one another it's shalom, that great Old Testament word that has so many images in the prophets that we can't hardly contain them all in our imaginations. It's that justice, it's that universal healing, it's right relationships in every facet and area of life. I love the way that Isaiah 65 puts it. Isaiah 65 speaks of no more sorrow and no more crying. Isaiah 65 speaks of people planting fields and them actually getting to reap the harvest of what they planted. It speaks of people building houses and being able to live in those houses. It speaks of the lion and the lamb laying down together and feasting on common pastures. It gives a myriad of images of this holy, fully orbed world of peace with God, within, and with others. And one of the questions I've been asking myself and I want to present to us is like, what hinders my peace? What hinders my peace with God? What hinders my peace within, with self? What hinders my peace with others? Our lovely bishop just came out with a very timely book called Deep Peace. <laughs> if you don't have it yet, get it and read it. Um, the first three chapters, he outlines this question of what hinders our peace. He talks about everyday fears and temptations like fear, anger, aggression, attachments. He talks about points of personal discomfort that hinder our peace, like pain and unanswered prayers and self-centeredness. And then he talks about external peace robbers like digital life online constantly or <laughs> obsession with failure or a fear of missing out one of the interesting things to me is that out of the 10 things he mentions the first and the 10th are fear related and i don't think that's a mistake i think our passage would encourage us to get in that every time the angels show up people are stunned in the presence of the angels and they're like fear not we bring you good news. So these dynamics of fear, I think, that we see playing in our own lives and playing in our own world and playing in the media constantly, I think they're one of the biggest inhibitors to peace for us. And often this sense of fear just comes from not feeling safe <laughs> in the world in which we live with the people in whom we are in relationship, in the institution and organizations that we're a part of. And it leads to a whole bunch of reactions, like this fight, flight, or freeze sort of thing, right? Put your arms up and lash out, or run away as fast as you can, <laughs> or just freeze 
and, and see if it will just go away eventually. God comes to a world where people are full of fear. And we'll see it again at the end of the Gospel of John. You know, Jesus died on the cross. His disciples are behind closed doors for fear. And the risen and resurrected Jesus shows up. And what is he, the first thing he says to them? He holds out his hands and says, peace to you. We need not feel shame over fear. But see it as an opportunity to receive again the ever deeper peace of Jesus. Peace as a gift from God. Now you notice in this passage, there's a number of ways. If those of you that, if any of you are uh, kind of used to the King James translation of verse 14, and there will be peace uh, towards those uh, of goodwill. <laughs> so it seems like God's peace is towards those who uh, are deserving of his reward of peace in some way. <laughs> Uh, you'll see in our particular translation, it says peace towards those on whom God's favor rests, um, which is actually maybe more accurate to some of the better manuscripts. But there then you can have the confusion of, well, is this just God's random act of giving peace to some people and not other people? But I don't think that would, I don't think this is meant to cast doubt on God's favor or our salvation in any way. I think what this is about is it's about rejoicing in the fact that peace is God's initiative and God's gift. And what that means is that God's peace can reach me no matter how low my life or my circumstances or my feelings get because it rests in God's initiative and God's gift. It's not the product of human control or technique. And so it's this God of peace who sends his son, the Prince of Peace, and fills us with the Holy Spirit. We're told the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, who gives us this gift and turns our fears into joy. It's the presence of Christ himself. Because knowing that we have in him the completeness and the fullness of everything that we need to be fully human, knowing that our end and our future is completely secure in him because he is the one who has come to reign forever and ever, as the Isaiah passage talks about. When we know that we have him, then we know that nothing ultimately is going to rob us from peace in the end. Because peace comes from being held by another. So my brothers and sisters, Christmas is good news of great joy for all people because it gives us a joy that is rooted in God's glory, his great glory, and in the deep peace that his glory gives us. And I think there's a bit of a cyclical effect here. It's as we dwell in God's great glory that we experience his deep peace settling into our lives and souls. And I think it's as we experience his deep peace that that leads us afresh to proclaim his great glory. And so we get the cyclical effect of glory and peace, glory and peace, glory and peace. And so I want to end just by asking you, what aspects of God's glory is he inviting you to cherish and relish in this season? What aspects of God's great glory is he inviting you to cherish and relish this season?
And where do you need that glory to give you deep peace? Where do you need that glory to enter in and give you deep peace? Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. My brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.